Can He Do That is sponsored by Bowl and Branch. Getting a great night's sleep is easier and more affordable than you think. Go to bowlandbranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets. Promo code Can He Do That. If you, Matt Zapatosky of May 2018, could talk to Matt Zapatosky of May 2017 as he's starting to cover the Mueller investigation, what would you say to him? <laughs> I would say uh, buckle up because this is going to be a heck of a lot faster than you imagine it's going to be. And there are going to be a heck of a lot more names of people who you don't know right now who you are going to have to know in a year's time. I'm Martine Powers, and this is Can He Do That, a podcast from The Washington Post about the powers and limitations of the American presidency. So here we are. It's May 2018, and we're one year into special counsel Robert Mueller, into potential collusion between Russia and Donald Trump's 2016 presidential campaign. And in this past year, there has been so much that's happened. And not all of it is related to that central question of collusion. There have been inquiries into Russian interference, questionable financial dealings, potential obstruction of justice. There have been indictments, plea deals, the start of a criminal trial. There's Stormy Daniels. And yes, there have been lots and lots of confusing names. I'll be honest with you, it's hard. I mean, uh, particularly the Russian the Russian names. Sometimes I leave a meeting and I'll be like, I gotta re-Google that guy because I don't remember exactly who he is. President Trump has spent the last year fighting back against the Mueller investigation, and he doesn't appear to be backing down. Like just this week, the president alleged that an FBI informant had improperly spied on his 2016 campaign. And he predicted that the fallout from this would be bigger than Watergate. So, yeah, it's been a lot. And to mark the one-year anniversary, we're bringing back Matt Zapatosky, national security reporter, and our resident Mueller investigation explainer-in-chief. Because, as he points out, the special counsel investigation has gotten so much more complicated than what it seemed like one year ago. When I began covering this, when Mueller was appointed, I remember that day pretty vividly, you thought, uh, you know, who knows where this is going. But you could see a world where, like, almost no one gets charged. This was like a counterintelligence investigation. We didn't really know much of anything then. And, like, we sit here now a year later and 19 people have been charged in a year's time. Five people have pleaded guilty. Three companies have also been charged, too. It's just, like, an astounding number of things to happen in a year. So where are we at now and what are we still waiting for? So where we're at now, we have 19 people charged, three companies charged, five people have pleaded guilty. Uh, three of those are particularly significant. Michael Flynn, who's the former national security advisor, Rick Gates, who's a former deputy campaign chairman, and George Papadopoulos, who is a former um, foreign policy advisor for the campaign, a little lower level than the other two. Um, we, we have all of that in hand. We still don't have 
a sort of answer to the central question of whether the campaign coordinated with Russia in an organized way to influence the 2016 election. But we do have a lot of information on that front, which is sometimes I think I fail to stress. You know, Papadopoulos, he pleaded guilty to sort of having contacts with what seemed to be Russian intermediaries and then lying about it to investigators. Mike Flynn pleaded guilty to lying about his conversation with the Russian ambassador. Those kind of speak directly to the theme of Russia coordination. Um, we also have uh, the the bulk of these 19 people charged are Russians who were part of this troll farm who tried to influence our election via social media posts and an operation. So that speaks to one side of the ledger of uh, coordination. We don't know that the campaign coordinated with those folks. In fact, we know that they didn't wittingly coordinate with those folks. Another big milestone, a person who I haven't mentioned yet, is Paul Manafort, who was the former campaign chairman for Donald Trump. He's not charged with anything regarding coordination with the Russians to influence the 2016 election. Um, But he is charged with this sort of massive scheme regarding his work in Ukraine years earlier. It's a lot of financial frauds. And he's really a key figure here. He's one of the few to fight. He's got trials coming up in, I think, July and then September. It's not related to the coordination question, but I think people see him as a key cog. And if he were to eventually plead guilty and cooperate like some of these others have, that would be a big blow for President Trump because this was the manager of his campaign. So that was another significant moment when he and Rick Gates were charged. Just like Mike Flynn has pleaded guilty and is now cooperating, just like George Papadopoulos has pleaded guilty and now is cooperating, just like um, Rick Gates has pleaded guilty and is now cooperating, they have so much information to share. And we don't know the bounds of the information they have to share share, but they played fairly key roles in the Trump campaign. And Paul Manafort was the chairman of the Trump campaign. So he's charged with something else, but perhaps he could negotiate a deal for himself. So, hey, I'm charged with all these dozens of crimes. I'll plead guilty to three of them. Maybe you can agree to make a recommendation on my sentence and then I'll cooperate with you. And then he could give them more of what they might want on the question of coordination with Russia to influence the 2016 election. So, That's where we're at. Where we're going, sort of what's happening next, I think the big thing we're looking for right now is will the president sit down with Robert Mueller, Robert Mueller's team, and answer questions? And so far, he hasn't done that and he hasn't said that he's going to do that. There's been very mixed intelligence coming out of the White House, coming from President Trump himself, coming from his lawyers on that question. He has not ruled it out. At times, he has suggested he would want to do it, but he's going to leave it to his lawyers. His legal team has shifted in the course of a year, and various lawyers have had various opinions on whether or not he should do that. Rudy Giuliani, who is his latest lawyer, has suggested It's possible they would do that, but he wants to narrow, and he claims they have narrowed, the subject areas which the president could be asked about and set sort of strict terms. But he's also suggested that this is kind of a two-track thing. It's possible he could sit down, and it's possible his side could make Mueller's side subpoena the president, and we don't really know how that would end up, but um, it would be voluntary sit Well, let's talk a little bit more about that question. I feel like I've heard so many things in the past couple of weeks about whether the president could or could not be subpoenaed. Why are there differing opinions on whether that's possible? Yeah, that's a t- that's a tough one. So the 
president, uh, this sounds like very common sense, but enjoys a very unique place in American government. And so while no person is, is above the law, he enjoys some unique protections because of the importance of his job. You can't do things to him in court like you could do to me because his job arguably is more important than mine. You can't distract him from uh, the mission that he has. So on the question of subpoenaing him, it's it hasn't been decided, but those who would who would not want him to be subpoenaed would say that would distract him from his mission of being the president. So you can't do it. He, you don't he would not respond to a subpoena. He wouldn't have to respond to a subpoena. Bill Clinton, when he was being investigated by Ken Starr, was subpoenaed by Ken Starr. But we don't know if that sort of would have had the force of law. Eventually, Ken Starr withdrew that subpoena and Bill Clinton just sat down. President Clinton just sat down for a voluntary interview. So we didn't get sort of a Supreme Court decision in that case saying, yes, you can subpoena him and it can be however broad. My prediction, uh, though don't hold me to this, is that they eventually negotiate terms for him to sit down. So they limit the number of questions that he can be asked, but then they don't have to be in a protracted court battle, which involves a subpoena. Um, but, but that's why there's this talk about subpoena. There's similar talk about indicting the president, too. So, so the idea would be that if Mueller found some sort of connection between President Trump and criminal wrongdoing that he could or maybe could not be indicted for that. Right. So just hypothetically, Robert Mueller discovers that Trump um, conspired with the Russians to influence the 2016 election. And he, in Robert Mueller's mind, thinks that federal crimes have been implicated there. He will run into two previous Justice Department opinions, one in the Clinton case, the Bill Clinton case, and another one from 1973, um, that say a sitting president cannot be indicted. And it's for the same reason. He has a very important job this would sort of distract him from his mission. And it's also the president is the head of the executive branch. They're the people who do the indicting. The check on them is supposed to be Congress who could impeach the president. So these opinions have suggested, sure, the president could be impeached and removed, and then he could be charged. But while he's the sitting president, he couldn't. Rudy Giuliani has said Mueller's team has conveyed to him or to another lawyer on the Trump team that they would honor these opinions. I think one thing that's really confusing for people who are trying to get a sense of the broader narrative is that, you know, outside of Flynn and Papadopoulos and Paul Manafort, there are even more tertiary storylines going on, um, things that it's kind of difficult to figure out whether or not they matter at all. So I'm, I'm hoping we can just, like, go through a few of those and you tell us if this is something that we can ignore or this is something that we need to pay attention to. Okay. So this week, the Senate Judiciary Committee releases... 2,500 pages of documents related to their probe into the Russian influence in the 2016 election, including this transcript of an interview of Donald Trump Jr. talking about his meeting that he had with Russians in 2016. Mm -hmm. Is this something that we need to pay attention to? So the meeting, uh, the Trump Tower meeting in 2016 is definitely something you need to pay attention to. I think this is a key piece of Robert Mueller's investigation. Um, uh, one, for coordination purposes, right? This is a Russian lawyer who comes to meet with very high levels. But even more importantly, he is looking at how the administration tried to shape the public narrative around this as part of the obstruction probe. Donald Trump himself, we know, was involved in that. So that's something, that meeting uh, is something that Robert Mueller is definitely keenly interested in. The release of those transcripts 
uh, I don't know that that itself was that interesting. Uh, because of great reporting, I think we already knew a lot of what was in there. I mean, it was thousands of pages, but it didn't meaningfully change our understanding of what occurred there. While it certainly added layers of details, and if you're interested in the deep details of these things, go ahead and read those. I mean, read all of our stories anyway, but um, but that I don't think fundamentally changed our understanding of that meeting, which is a very important meeting. I mean, developments around that you should definitely pay attention to. Okay, so next thing. The Post reported this week that Michael Cohen, the president's personal lawyer, that he apparently tried to get a million dollars from the nation of Qatar in exchange for access to the president, though apparently they didn't take him up on his offer. Is, is that related to the Mueller investigation at all? Cohen is a weird one, and I don't know that I can give a conclusive answer of how much you should care about it because I don't have a good sense of how much Robert Mueller cares about it. So uh, what you mentioned is true. We reported that Michael Cohen essentially, I don't know, fleeced the Qataris and said, hey, I can give you access to uh, to, to Donald Trump, who's my longtime buddy, and I'm, I'm his lawyer, and I can give you insight into how his administration is going to work, and all you've got to do is give me a million dollars, which, you know, at its face, you're like, whoa. I mean, in some ways, that's how Washington works. Um, it's an access sort of town. Uh, and that itself isn't illegal, actually, to sort of sell access. Um, the Supreme Court decided that in, a, in another case that I covered. So now, if you were selling official acts, if Donald Trump was going to do something for the Qataris in exchange for that money, that could be illegal. So I don't want to rule out that anything illegal there. But to get back to your central question, how much does uh, Robert Mueller care about Michael Cohen? Robert Mueller was kind of the, it seems like, was the first person to get on to similar conduct like that. So Michael Cohen didn't just do that with the Qataris. He did that with AT&T. He did that with Novartis. He did that with some other companies. Some of them actually hired him for hundreds of thousands of dollars to do work for them. Um, And Robert Mueller found that. He inquired with the companies about that. But he ended up turfing that investigation to prosecutors in the Southern District of New York. That doesn't make it any less significant. I mean, you can be worried about that conduct in its own right. Like, is that public corruption? Did Michael Cohen on his own commit financial crimes like bank fraud or something like that? Um, But it doesn't seem like Robert Mueller thinks that is right in his ballywick of Russian interference or in um, in obstruction. Uh, but that's not to say it's not interesting. I mean, I'm deeply interested in Michael Cohen uh, because he's President's, Pre- President Trump's lawyer. I mean, he knows where the bodies are buried. And I think where you might see these intersect is, um, is the same as I talked about with some of these other folks. Michael Cohen knows a lot. So if he's facing charges in his own right that aren't anything to do with coordination, Do prosecutors use that to squeeze him to cooperate with Mueller? And because he would have so much knowledge about President Trump, can they get a lot of information from him? So short answer to your question is Michael Cohen is important, but I think there's a lot more we have to learn about him before we can say why. And I feel like that also speaks to the Stormy Daniels question, like this payoff that she got from Michael Cohen. Is that sort of the same situation where – it may not be sort of the thrust of what Mueller is looking at, but that, you know, if Michael Cohen did something illegal in those circumstances, that it could 
provide an opportunity to put pressure on him? Yeah. So right now we understand that piece of it is being investigated not by Mueller but by prosecutors and FBI agents in the Southern District of New York. And that was an intentional choice, I think, because we know Mueller was kind of on to Cohen's shady business dealings many months earlier, many months before the public has sort of started learning about them right now, which, which again, is not to say that's not important in its own right. I mean, you can be interested in Stormy Daniels and Michael Cohen um, totally apart from Mueller. It's seems like Mueller himself isn't interested in that. But if if it were to pressure Cohen to flip, maybe he could become interested again. Um, And, uh, you know, I think that says something about Mueller. He's taken some heat for um, maybe getting in things that don't speak to the central question. I'm thinking particularly of Paul Manafort. I mean, this is Ukraine dealings years earlier. And he doesn't want to become the next Ken Starr where you're investigating anything and everything. And, like, you started investigating real estate deals and now you're investigating an affair the president had with an intern. So kicking Stormy Daniels away could be, like, a strategic move. You know, let prosecutors in New York who normally would handle that, handle that, and stick to your main mission. And then the public might have a little more um, confidence in you as you go forward and not worry so much about your investigation. Can He Do That is sponsored by Bolin Branch. Getting a great night's sleep is easier and more affordable than you think. Go to bowlandbranch.com today for $50 off your first set of sheets. That's B-O-L-L and branch.com. Promo code, can he do that? As we look to the future of the Mueller investigation, there have been a few questions that I've been spending a lot of time thinking about. Which is, like, what does the end of this look like? And how will we know when this whole thing is over? Is there going to be, like, a final satisfying conclusion here? Or is it possible that, like, this whole thing will just fizzle out? So... That's really hard to say. I do think it's not unfair to think we might be getting close. And I only say that because I don't think you would want to sit down with the president until you had a lot of your ducks in a row. I mean, that wouldn't be an early stage thing. That would be a late stage thing. So at least with respect to the things the president might know about, we might be getting close to the end. My best guess on how this ends is, one, I think there are more people left to be indicted. I mean, I don't think you line up five cooperators and then just write a report. I think there are probably higher level people who should be nervous right now um, and will learn more about their cases in court. Um, But I think this will ultimately wrap up with a report. I think it's an open question on how that becomes public or or how public that becomes, if there are sections that sort of stay secret for a long time because they involve grand jury information or other stuff or if everything becomes public. and yeah, I think that I think Mueller reports to Rod Rosenstein, who's the deputy attorney general. He likely turns it over to Congress. I bet that is the mechanism that it becomes public. So I think much of what we learn comes in court. And then at the end of the day, there probably will be a report. I feel like over the past year, people people's excitement has started to be replaced with like exasperation um, because I think in a lot of people's minds, this is taking a long time. So 
I guess for you, do you feel like this actually is taking a long time? And in comparison with other presidents or other investigations into potential wrongdoings by presidents, is this a long time? So I think undeniably there is some some Mueller fatigue. You know, I think you can see it in recent polling that shows while he still enjoys the support of a majority of Americans, that support has dipped over time. Again, still still the majority, but that number has slowly slid down. I was talking to a former independent counsel, which is kind of like the predecessor to the special counsel, uh, who said, look, in my experience, you've got about 18 to 24 months where you can credibly operate with public confidence. Not that public confidence should be your main concern, but it has to be a concern because when the public turns against you, your opponents are going to be able to much more easily make your life a lot more miserable. Has this taken a long time in my view? Not at all. I mean, a year is is a very short amount of time in terms of a complicated white collar and counterintelligence investigation. And this is both. Um, I think he's done, you know, he's done, he's worked so fast. I mean, 19 people to be charged in a year is a heck of a lot, not to mention five people who have who have pleaded guilty, um, but it's true that uh, that public confidence is 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 waning a little bit in him, just ever so slightly. Uh, he faces attacks almost daily from the president, and the the more those build up over time, I think the harder time he has. I don't think he lets that affect his work. I guess I should conclude that way. I don't think he lets that affect his work. I don't think he tries to like hit the gas. Like I gotta finish in eighteen months. He's gonna let the facts go where they where, where they will. But he's also gonna try to move quickly because he knows, you know, that when when I have lost the faith of the public and. While that day is not here yet, that day will come. Um, he uh, he'll be in a little bit of a spot. Uh, sorry, I sort of missed your other question. How this compares to past in, independent counsel? So the one comparison I know the best is is Whitewater, which was like the Clinton um, independent counsel. A year in, they had charged nobody. Uh, it wasn't until about a year and a half in that the first couple people were charged, which was two like real estate partners of the Clintons and the governor of Arkansas. Um, that probe lasted for eight years. It ended up eight years. Eight years. Um, uh, it ended up entailing all sorts of other. Uh, um, conduct. There were multiple independent counsels. Now that was a wait, little, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. wait. So, so, so that lasted past even the end of his presidency. It began in 1994 and wrapped up around 2002. Um, now, so, look, the majority of the investigative work was done before that, but when Robert Ray came in and sort of formally closed it with a report was 2002. So, if that's what you count as the end, um, uh, that. It lasted eight years. Now, uh, look, Mueller has trials that could take a long time. I mean, they've actually been sort of set on a nice schedule. But let's say he charges some new higher level campaign person and that person says, I need a year to review my stuff. Uh, you know, that could go on another year if the trial takes a couple months, let's say. Like now we're at, you know, two years and two months. This is if he charges someone today. So trials can extend that process. The appeals process for trials can extend that process. So there is an open question. You know, if Mueller is in year four and year five, like if he is through the end of uh, President Trump's first term, and if President Trump is reelected, he was into Trump's second term, he's going to be in a world of pain. Um, now, if trials are lasting that long, that's maybe a little different story. But if he is still substantively investigating things and hasn't issued a report, you know, in eight years, uh, that's, 
you know, that'll be tough for him. You mentioned personal attacks from the president. Obviously, he's not a big fan of Rob Mueller. He's not a big fan of the investigation. Um, I mean, both out loud and over Twitter, he's called it a witch hunt, a disgrace, a scam, a phony cloud over the administration. Do you think that those attacks are having an effect on public confidence in Mueller? I do, and I think you can see it in the ever so slightly dipping poll numbers. It's having more of an effect among Republicans, I think. Um, and look, he's he's thrown a lot of things against the wall. Some have stuck more than others. You know, one of his initial lines of attack was this team is very partisan. There are 13 registered Democrats on the team. I think that resonated with some people, but it was also pretty quickly pushed back on because, look, Robert Mueller, there's Justice Department policies that says Robert Mueller can't uh, take into account political affiliation when he's hiring somebody. So if he gets Democrats and they're qualified, he has to hire them. Same with Republicans. Um, And also, these people are like career prosecutors. You know, yes, it's true. Some have donated to Democrats or registered to Democrats, but they're career prosecutors. And we as a country kind of trust them to do the right thing. So that was one line of attack. Some of it is just broad witch hunt. There is no collusion. There is no coordination. I think that's more effective the more time goes on. You know, the more he says, hey, there's nothing to see here, and the more Robert Mueller doesn't come up with anything on the question of coordination. That's becoming more effective. The latest attack um, is about an allegedly embedded FBI informant. We'll see how that plays. I think we're just in the infancy of that. But you can see in the the poll numbers that um, it's having an effect on public confidence. Robert Mueller doesn't stand for election. You know, he's going to just do his job. Um, But it can become harder to do your job when the public doesn't have faith in you. And if you're thinking about court, you have to think about juries and how they view you. So public confidence is not totally unimportant to Mueller either. And do you have a sense at all of how this could affect both midterm elections and President Trump? I mean, I know it's a a long time from now, but President Trump's reelection campaign. So uh, a note on that, I think that there are Justice Department sort of tradition that say you should not take steps, overt steps, close to an election. Generally, that's been observed as 90 or 60 days. So I do think it... Robert Mueller in that window will slow things down because he doesn't want to do anything that could affect the outcome of the election. You saw Jim Comey when he was uh, investigating Hillary Clinton in her email use famously buck those policies. You know, just weeks before the election, he announced the investigation was back on and he's proffered a lot of reasons for those. But I think inside the Justice Department, people have seen how poorly that played and that has only reinforced their idea that we have these policies for a reason and we need to follow them. And I expect Uh, that Robert Mueller would probably do the same thing. As far as how is this is playing in the country and how this could affect people's individual races, I think that's a more local thing. And I don't know that I can speak educatedly to how Robert Mueller is going to shape Congress. I would say, though, that a Democratic Congress could really raise the stakes of his investigation if people think he's driving towards impeachment. It seems very unlikely that a Republican-controlled legislature, given what we know now, is going to impeach President Trump. They seem very, very much on his side. A Democrat-controlled legislature there maybe is a higher chance of that. So uh, things could look very different after the election in a, in a political context. And all of that speaks to this question. What happens if Robert Mueller wraps up his investigation and concludes that Trump 
or his closest associates did not commit any criminal wrongdoing, including with Russia. Like, what happens if the president is right and this all turns out to be nothing? In a world where, at the end of the day, Robert Mueller issues a report and he declares, I have actively investigated this and I conclude that, in fact, Donald Trump did not coordinate with the Russians nor did any members of his campaign. Actually, I I mean, I just don't think that's possible even given what we know now. I mean, we know there was sort of acceptance of offers from Russian-affiliated people or Russians themselves, you know. There is a lot of smoke. Does that produce a criminal charge? Um, That's a more open question. But I think that, you know, it, it will just devolve into, as it has now, into partisan bickering. I mean, Robert Mueller is not measuring his success based on whether he indicts the president or not or whether he proves coordination or not. He's measuring his success based on is he able to figure everything out, you know, and if he figures everything out and it's, hey, I figured out that um, that Donald Trump probably didn't. He'll say that and he'll consider that a success. And I think there's – I mean, this is just my personal opinion, but I don't think there's any outcome indicting the president, exonerating the president that's going to leave everybody happy. Um, You know, indictment of the president would be hugely significant. It would have battles that would certainly go to the Supreme Court. Um, But even that, I don't think, you know, his Donald Trump's Republican allies would say, oh, we were wrong the whole time about the witch hunt. That, I mean, they'll only use that to say you were always out to get him. This is very partisan. This needs to go away. Thanks for listening to Can He Do That? from The Washington Post. We've had some really great and heartening reviews for this podcast from listeners in the past couple of weeks. So if you enjoyed this episode, please keep them coming. You can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or anywhere else that you listen. Check out previous episodes at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. Can He Do That is produced by Carol Alderman with design help from Kat Rudell-Brooks, logo art from Lauren Boglio, and theme music by Ted Muldoon. I'm the host, Martine Powers, filling in for Allison Michaels. And special thanks to Matt Zabotowski, our resident Mueller investigation expert, for help with this episode. smart speaker owners if you like can he do that you should also try the daily 202's big idea a daily political analysis show from national political correspondent james homan the daily 202's big idea is available as a flash briefing on amazon echo google home and apple homepod to learn how to listen and to find out what else you can do on your smart speakers visit washingtonpost.com voice the washington 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 Post. post